Welcome back, everyone, to R2Cast number 131. If you listen to the podcast every single episode, you'll be expecting someone with a certain name. Uh, I have actually did intentionally message three people called Sarah. Our guest today will have no idea what's happening, but I will explain it as we go. Um, I was arranging quite a few podcasts, as I do every week, and trying to get ahead at the minute. And uh, as we finished the podcast with Heidi, one thirty. Um, I, for some reason, said, say a name and I'll make sure that's the next person on the podcast, which was a ludicrous thing to do because I had about four days um, and there is actually now three Sarahs that will probably be coming on the podcast, but just not uh, number 131. Today is, however, <clears throat> a really good episode, but before we get into it, I'll give you a wee bit about the last and the next episode. The last one, as I mentioned, was with Heidi Wilson. If you're a fitness freak, if you are into veterinary, if you're into farming, if you're into just about anything, Heidi seems to have it covered. She's been through a lot of troubles in the last two years, really difficult um, time losing her dad through COVID. And uh, with that, she's turned amazingly uh, her life around into a more and using that bereavement in a positive manner. So starting up, now I can't remember the exact name <clears throat> of the organisation, but basically bereavement for vet students. Uh, organization and phenomenal uh, work she's doing there um she's into crossfit she does all that sort of stuff she's very much one of those folk that you're like how have you done this at this age uh, and our next episode is the start of what will be hopefully a very long series of um saifc clubs i said <clears throat> when i joined saifc as vice chair comes in market and i set out to have every single club on and i was starting with one club and that's the club i'm a member of and it has four months later only just begun so if we continue at this pace it might be some time before we manage all what I believe to be 72 uh, it might take me some time we'll still be here in episode number th let's say 13,100 instead of 131 but today's guest much like episode 130 is one of those people that you think you must be older than this there's no chance you've done these things at this age and when I found out John's age last year I was like I know, you're lying. There is no chance I've got almost five years on you. I I refuse to believe it. I absolutely refuse to believe it. Um, but it is the case, and today's guest is John McCulloch. John, would you like to say hello? Hello, Wallace. Thanks very much for having me on the podcast. Just before we get started with another episode of the R2 cast, I would like to thank our primary sponsors, A-Plan Rural. A-Plan Rural are heavily involved on the social media scene in the ag space with 120,000 followers on Instagram. They use this following to host social media takeovers with farmers throughout the country to showcase their stories. They also post to their rural community blog with further stories about these people in the industry. On top of this, they like to support initiatives that are championing the British agricultural industry, such as myself. So thank you to Aplan Rural for that. Not at all. Very much looking forward to it, mate. Very much looking forward to it. Um, been on something like this before? A uh, not one with as good a as good a host as yourself, obviously. But uh, yeah, I have been have been on a few uh, podcasts before. Yeah, so I, I hope that I hope the hosts of the ones you've been on aren't listening. Um, <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for those who don't know, John, um, I, I John's one of those folk that I moved to in Freeze, obviously, about two or three years ago, and. Uh, I've been pretty much aware of him ever since, but I was actually aware of John before, um, and I don't really know why. He's just one of those names that I seem to know and I'd always heard of. Um, but a bit of background for John is uh, a big 
Lorna Steelmember. <laughs> not not quite, Wallace, not quite. Neighbouring na- na- neighbouring club. Neighbouring club. Uh, oh, you, you dealt with that much better than I'd expected. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> John, give us give the viewers a bit of background about yourself. Get tell us a bit about a young John. What was a young John's intention and and uh, yeah that sort of thing. <clears throat> uh, so I suppose um, agriculture was always uh, what I wanted to do. So obviously being brought up um, on a farm, my dad was a stockman for um, various herds of pedigree cattle uh, while I was growing up and I think it was always you know maybe didn't 100% know what I wanted to do in agriculture but agriculture was always going to be the main theme Um, and you know in the last in the last few months obviously my my path has slightly changed Um, you know having obviously been at SRUC and and done um, first of all NC agriculture at Oak Ridge and then HNC there as well and then um, HND Agriculture at Edinburgh. Um, I've then got a full-time job with the Barber family at Ockenjibbert, just outside them priests. And then just in the last few months, um, changing career path slightly to um, start as a trainee auctioneer at Wallets Marks in Castle Douglas. So, um, you know, livestock and agriculture has always been there. Um, and just, I don't, I'd, don't know, I think I always thought that I would be um, involved with stock, kind of on farm, on everyday kind of basis. But, um, you know, I was offered this opportunity as a trainee auctioneer and, and I thought it was a nice opportunity to to get more into the workings of, um, more into the workings of selling people's stock and, and kind of communicating with people on a daily basis. And, um, yeah, really enjoying the job and learning how it all works. And, and yeah, I'm hoping that, hoping that there'll be a long career there um, in the future. I think much like myself, you're you're not someone that's shy of a chat. Uh, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> very much, very much needed for that job as well. But um, so was your dad the first generation of your family that was was in farming, or had he learned from his mum and dad, or what was what was the deal there? Um, so um, my my dad's mother, my nana, came from um, a farm at Kersluth, just not far from where I now stay in Kirkcubri. Um, my papa came from a farming family in Bar Hill, um, and equally on my mother's side, my gran came from a farming family um, at Stranraer, as did my gran, my granddad. So um, yeah, I mean, there's always been a strong family um, connection there in the family. Um, my grandmother, um, a huge inspiration to me, 87 years old and still lambing sheep all by herself. And, you know, um, she's she's a she's a strong-willed, independent uh, person. And, uh, you know, I still hope when I'm 87 years of age that I'd manage to get up in the morning and go in and do something like lambing yous myself. Um, you know, she's she's uh, she's an inspiration, certainly. Um, you know, she's she's um, sadly the only grandparent I have left, but they've all left their mark um, on me and what they've they've done. Obviously, my my papa, my dad's father, he um, was a head yardsman at the Caledonian Market in Stirling for many years, and um, my granddad um, was a cattle buyer or a cattle and sheep buyer um, based uh, just outside Stranraer. So. Yeah, there's been there's been a strong connection with the industry there, kind of through quite a few generations now. It's uh, the eighty seven and lamb and sheep. It's quite some. When you say um, 
you'd like to see yourself at that age doing that. That's not what I would like to see myself doing at 87. If I was able to, amazing. I know I'm not going to be able to. Uh, I saw it here. It's like almost four times our age and it's still... That's fantastic. That, yeah, you said the word inspiration. That's exactly what it is. And there is some folk out there. I think people over the age of 70 were just built different. Like they're, <laughs> they just have got a different different mindset. They're, they're more sort of, I don't know exactly what the word is, but yeah, lamb and sheep at 87. I definitely didn't realise that was the case. That's that's quite something. I quite like to hear, uh, Joe, I always quite like asking folk about their time at college and uni. Could you tell us a bit about that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think I probably attended more um, pubs and nightclubs than I did lectures, and you were like hearing that, you being a lecturer yourself. Wallace, you realised I was also a student, John? Like, I, <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah, so I mean, um, at, o- at Oatridge, there was um, two nights a week where we um, attended uh, the pub in the, the local village, um, in Uphall, just uh, outside Edinburgh and and yeah, and most of those nights we ended up uh, going from there to to Edinburgh. But that was probably where um, you know friendships were built. I think there's a lot there's a lot of people um, that I went to college with that I keep in touch with. Um, you know we still see each other at shows and sales and and uh, when we're out and about in the industry and yeah, I mean you know friends for life and um, yeah, there's, there's some some interesting characters. Um, there is everywhere, isn't there? So, uh, but yeah, no, it's certainly an experience that I, I don't regret at all. And and um, yeah, I mean, obviously having having been at Oatridge and then going in and having to study at Edinburgh um, for, to do my HND, the SIUC actually pulled HND from Oatridge before uh, just before I was due to do it. So it was kind of one of those decisions of do I, you know, do I call it a day at HMC or do I go on and go to Edinburgh and do an HMD, um, which I decided to do, um, which was, you know, going from the contrast of Oakridge being a very rural college, you're out in the sticks, and then you're in the middle of the city, you know, stayed in student accommodation right on the edge of the meadows, um, and then obviously being at uni, you know, in Edinburgh, it was it was certainly a, a learning curve. Um, I think I'd probably say that I'm far happier, um, far happier out in the rural setting than I am in the city. Um, but yeah, it was it was certainly an experience and, and not one that I regret at all, and, and certainly met some met some brilliant people um, during that time, and of course learnt learnt a few things along the way as well. Obviously, obviously, I mean, obviously. without saying, uh, how did you? You always said you like real life better, but how did you find city life? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I coped with it okay, but I just it's not it's not something that I overly enjoyed, um, to be honest. Obviously not not been used to it at all. Never really lived in a built up area, and then all of a sudden moved into this flat that wasn't wasn't that big. Um, and obviously moved in with with it being student accommodation was in a flat with uh, two Chinese people and um, a boy from England as well. So um, it was kind of that thing you you moved into accommodation. You're living with strangers. You're in an environment that you're not overly comfortable in. Um, it was certainly it was certainly an experience. It got easier as time went on, but it was uh, yeah, it was different. It was certainly different. It's a totally different thing. I mean, I, I didn't do Edinburgh. My my ex lived in Edinburgh for a year, so I spent a fair chunk of it <clears throat> in Edinburgh. But um, I did Glasgow and I did here for four years. But moving away from what was an island that you you know the shops shut at eight o'clock and and all that sort of thing, it was quite a surreal experience to go away. 
and see you this is one thing you wouldn't have had but when you spoke to people here and i'm going to say here because i'll, I'll ruin this point of the story and you referred to here as the mainland good god you got the piss ripped out of you <laughs> um which was a yeah that was a learning curve for myself i almost had to stop using the word mainland because i just got embarrassed but a uh, yeah, city living for us, for us rural folks is a bit of a shock. In fairness, I, I live in a town now, but I don't know. I don't know if I do well like bang smack in the middle of a city. I don't mind towns, but <clears throat> um, it's just too intense. In fairness, I think. Uh, and when when we're on the the topic of SRUC, uh, John, it brings me to one question that I want to ask now because I know I'll forget if we don't. Um, you had what was I assume was quite a what would be the word, quite an honour at Highland, Highland show um, at a, a SRUC event. Could you tell us about that? <clears throat> uh, yeah, no, definitely. It was it was um, a complete honour. Um, obviously, SRUC, as many people will know, set up an award um, in memory of for Dice Maxwell. So he was um, a journalist who uh, was editor of the Newcastle Journal. I think he was also agriculture editor for the Scotsman. Um, he passed away last year and um, SRUC set up an award in his honour for um, someone who um, has communicated agriculture to the public and, and um, kind of promoted agriculture and um, I was um, chosen as um, the person to win that, for the first person to win it. Um, it was something that was not expected at all. Um, it was in it like you know, like you've already alluded to, was a huge honour. Um, you know, had, didn't have the pleasure of meeting for Dice Maxwell myself, but have heard you know lots about him and none of it, none of it bad at all. You know, so by the sound of things, a total gentleman, and he obviously did so much for the industry as well. And you know, to win that award, which was obviously named after him, is a is a huge honour. And yeah, that that took place at the Highland Show, and uh, you know, Highland Show is a big enough week uh, in itself. But that certainly uh, certainly was the cherry on the cake. It was, you know, I, I saw, when I saw you'd won it, it was you. you what's the term? Like you're just such such a fit and winner for something like that. Um, I mean, when for those of you that don't know, John. You could be speaking to John in a social setting and he's still promoting agriculture. Like, like you could be having a couple of beers and you're just wanting to be chill. And the last thing you want to speak about for a minute is farming. And John's like, we have to push it forward. You know, he, he's always <laughs> focusing on how we can make British agriculture better. So when I saw you'd won that, I was so chuffed because it just, <clears throat> it was so right. Um, but yeah, on, on Highland Show, uh, John, you know, you, you, there's a lot of a lot of showing going on in your family over the years, and and that's became quite a big part of your life as well. Um, showing something with probably, I, I guess, a fair chunk of my rural listeners have taken part in. Uh, this year at Highland, <clears throat> I had the honour um, with someone who's hopefully coming on the podcast soon, Rosie, um, to show at the Highland for the first time, and something that I genuinely thought I would never do in 2012. Um, Mum, Dad and I won the Aaron Show Overhead Championship, which was the 174th of that show. And that was the first time our family had won it. And it's a relatively small island. And that was like an amazing feeling. And I remember having a chat with Mum and Dad. Why don't we show at Highland? Why don't we show at Highland the next year? And they were like, it's a bit different. And as, as I sort of progressed through uni and saw, <clears throat> went to the Highland show again, like we said earlier, probably frequenting the Herdsman. And, and it's sort of... Um, 
successors more than more than showing. Uh, it always seemed as something I was never going to be involved in. But you've been involved at the Highland Show in various capacities for some time. Um, could you tell us what that's done for you and, and the opportunities you've had at the Highland? So yeah, I mean, I think I think my uh, first memories of the Highland uh, were probably about uh, what we're talking now, like 15, 15 odd years ago. Um, you know, mum and dad obviously taking pedigree cattle to the Highland. Um, you know, staying in a caravan for the whole week. Um, you know, it just it, it's those kind of things. Uh, you know, it's um, you know still to this day staying in a caravan at the Highland because it's just you know. You're, you're right next to the show field, you know, you can get in and out, you can socialise, you know, and, and it's and it's great. You know, over over time, obviously, became quite involved in young farmers and that obviously, you know, the biggest week of the young farmers calendar is is the Highland show. So that's kind of, you know, between show and cattle, being involved with young farmers. And then uh, when I was at Oat Ridge, I got asked I'd like to steward cattle at the Highland. So that's um, also kind of developed over the years, still um, stewarding beef cattle um, at the show. And then obviously this year, you know, uh, between winning winning the Fordyce Maxwell Award, stewarding beef cattle, and obviously being um, chair of Agri Rural Affairs, it all just kind of, it all uh, made for quite quite a quite a, a, a busy week. But yeah, no, it's uh, over, over time, my involvement with the show has developed. And, you know, I, I believe that, um, you know, shows in general but events like the the Royal Highland show are quite an important part of the calendar and you know a for promoting agriculture but also for you know there's a lot of farmers that um you know live in fairly rural areas they don't see a lot of people and you know I think when it comes to the conversations that we're having as as an industry about mental health I think events like the Royal Highland show are really important at the fact that you know, everyone can get out and see each other. And there'll be many people that, you know, I'll not see from one Highland show to the next. And, you know, it just shows that, you know, it's, it's such a, a brilliant event that we can get everyone together. And I think that, like what you said about mental health side of things, really came to fore because it was cancelled, obviously, twice. Well, it was cancelled for the public twice. <clears throat> um, and I didn't, I didn't realise... As someone, you know, I'm someone who at the time was still in uni, yet still, uh, no, just left uni, um, saw a lot of people through work, saw whatever, um, so not one of those isolated people by any means, <clears throat> but realised when it came June time, just how important it was, and uh, when it when it was when it was off for two years in a row, you really missed that, and it was last year I went back, wasn't it? Yeah, last year I fully went back, and it was, it was great to see everyone. I think for so many folk, it was such a I don't even know what the word is. Like it was just <sighs> happiness was back. You know, you were able to see your mates. You were able to have that week or four days or whatever it might be, just to chill out and, and sort of take your mind off things. Unless it was perfect weather for silage and you start to feel guilty. But um, yeah, it's it's a great time and it's like you say over the years, like it's more and more. Like I, I went to you, uh, well, three years ago, four years ago, it would be the last time, and I was just there having a good time. And then two years ago, like you know, last year. Um, it was just I was doing a few things, and then this year I barely get a chance to speak to anyone because there's so many things on. There's so much to do. I absolutely love it. Um, and you, <clears throat> you sort of you moved into to young farmers there quite good because young farmers are so involved in the Highland. Um, and as you know, I'm new to young farmers in that what maybe 15, 16 months at this point. I've been a member. And I didn't realise their involvement, how strong it was. I knew that Young Farmers was going on. Of course I did, but I did not realise just how much was going on. Um, 
But before we get into sort of Young Farmers at the show in particular, could you tell us about your life in Young Farmers? Because I'm guessing, I don't actually know the answer to this, but I'm guessing you're one that started at 14. I could be wrong. I would just like to quickly interrupt the show for a minute to give you some extra information on our primary sponsors, A-Plan Rural. A-Plan offer bespoke cover for farms and estates, the UK over, and will give you tailored insurance for anything on the farm from your old workhorse tractor that's been around 20 years or a fancy new and exciting diversification. Yes, uh, yeah. probably, probably actually slightly younger than that because I yeah. um, pe- pestered and pestered my uh, mum and dad. Uh, when can I join your party? You can't start till you're 14. And then, you know, just every event that was open to anyone I was along at, um, just taking part and seeing what it was about. Um, you know, I was, uh, you know, obviously I'd been at a few Young Farmers concerts and kind of seen that side of it before I joined and you know I just thought you know this is brilliant you know it seems like such good fun um which it, you know obviously as anyone who's involved in it knows it, it certainly is um you know obviously having used to live um up in in the central belt near Stirling so um when I first joined uh, 14 it was um the, what's called the three S's young farmers so Stirling, Strathendrick and Strathkelvin um, so I was a member there for two or three years before moving to Dumfries and Galloway. Um, so I uh, moved down here and joined um, Stewartry Young Farmers. So um, it was a bit of a it's a bit of a change. Uh, you know, three S's Young Farmers over a hundred members, and then you come down to Stewartry. Um, you know, at that point there's probably sitting somewhere between forty and fifty members. Um, you know, which is still quite sizable for Dumfries and Galloway, but when you're when you're used to being up in the central belt, a club of over a hundred, you know, it seemed quite seemed quite quiet. Um, you know, but it was a, a brilliant um, community feeling club, and um, kind of first get involved. Um, my friends Abby Abby Forsyth and Megan Forsyth kind of lived just along the road um, from where I was staying at that point, uh, and they kind of came and said, right, you know. Um, you coming with us to the AGM tonight? Uh, you'll get to meet people, and um, this is only a couple of weeks after I moved here, and then kind of that kind of sparked my interest in Stuart Young Farmers. Joined as a, a member, um, became I think the stock judging convener for the for the first year I was here, and then um, from there I was vice chair, and then actually at this point um, came came off as chair of the club just in in. March just passed after um, having done three years as chairman, not altogether, did um, kind of the last two years as a block, and then I did a year pre-COVID as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, um, certainly my my heart certainly in Stuart Young Farmers and you know I, I mean I'm not I'm not saying I don't like Lauren Nistel Wallace but it's it's um, you know obviously neighbouring club healthy healthy rivalry and and obviously um, now vice chair of um, Dumfries and Galloway district um, and also in the last few years when I first moved here um, I kind of learned more about the Agri and Rural Affairs Committee so. Uh, started off as the Priest and Galloway representative on that committee and then becoming West Agri and Rural Affairs Chairman um, and then going on to be West uh, going on to be National Vice Chair last year and um, as we currently sit here I'm the National Chair of Agri and Rural Affairs across um, the whole of Young Farmers, which you know was a great privilege. Um, I think like you've alluded to already, I think you know 
Uh, I'm keen to promote agriculture and, and you know, it's been good, obviously, having come up through the ranks in agri and rural affairs. It's nice to to have got to national chair and, uh, you know, we're, as a committee, uh, organising visits across the country, um, which we've had two or three this year already, and, and it's all going really well. Um, you know, and we obviously had a few meetings at the Highlands show with the Cabinet Secretary and also Douglas Ross as well. So that's kind of what we're focusing on, policy, kind of government policy, how that's affecting farmers um, and how it's affecting young people in agriculture as well. So I've kind of come up through young farmers in two different ways, two different ways at both club level and and also now came up through and and arrived at a national level with with the uh, agri rural affairs and have sat on the national council for uh, about four or five years now as well. Obviously not now national council. There's been a, a slight restructuring of the organisation. Um, but yeah, it's been really good, and and I think as you know, um, being vice chair of comms and marketing yourself, uh, it can be quite a rewarding thing to be a part of, um, no matter where you are in the organisation, you know whether it be club level, district, or doing more at a national level. Um, I think you know it's one of those things that you get out as much as you put in, um, and it's certainly something that's helped me both. Um, you know, with my career and also in young farmers as well. Completely agree with the getting out as much as you put in because, <clears throat> um, yeah, you, I feel like I've got a ridiculous amount of young farmers, uh, and it's it's been a short period of time. You know, I started at twenty five, uh, but I just when you were mentioning about the sort of national council there and the sort of re <clears throat> reshuffle that's that's occurred. If if you are listening and you're interested. Um, as to how that operates, I think it's R two cast number one one three hundred and thirteen that we went over it with um, members from each committee. Agri and rural affairs didn't actually have someone there just because of timings and whatnot. But Ali Brunton, who's been past chair, is that right? Of Agri, yes. yeah, it was was there. So Ali, Ali's, um, <clears throat> Ali was the national chair of Agri and rural affairs a couple of years ago, and and obviously um, currently sits below Jane as national vice and. Uh, you know, um, I think Ali's one of those great examples of someone who's come up through young farmers at, you know, every level. And, you know, he's, he's obviously sitting as vice chair at the moment. And, yeah, I think he's, I think he's a great example of someone who, who's put a lot into young farmers and is passionate about the movement. Um, and I think, you know, obviously he's in a role now where, you know, he can really make a difference nationally. And I think, you know, he, he really deserves that role. He's, he's certainly done a lot to get there and, you know, well done to him. Which leads me on to a question that I was going to ask you and I was never going to tell you I was going to ask you this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. <laughs> you've done club level, <clears throat> you've done district, you've not been involved directly in region, but you've been West Agri and Rural Affairs. <clears throat> Sorry for the, my throat. There's, you've also done national on a, on a Agri and Rural Affairs basis. Is... In John McCulloch's future, that national vice chair and then subsequently national chair, something that you would like to do. Um, the honest, the honest answer to that question is I don't know. Right. Um, you know, at the moment I'm twenty twenty four, and you know, um, currently national chair of Agri and Rural Affairs. Um, it it all it all depend on what um, time restrictions there are. Um, you know, obviously just started a new career. Um, you know, we'll have to see what happens with that and how much time there is to give to it. Obviously, each year at AGM season, things change, rules change. Um, 
you know, if there was ever an opportunity there where, you know, I could give the time to the role that it deserves and the role was there, um, you know, and I could run for it, then, yeah, certainly, I would certainly consider it. It's an organisation that I care deeply about. Um, and I think, you know, it would be a shame if the, if I had the time and I was at an age where I could do it, then um, I, I think I'd probably kick myself if I let that opportunity go, um, you know. And there's been some... Been some fantastic um, national chairs in the past that I've really looked up to, and you know they've really supported me. You know, it was a daunting prospect coming up through the ranks of both club level um, and also, you know, to arrive at a place where I'm now national chair of Agri and Rural Affairs. That's came with a fair amount of um, a fair amount of uh, scary moments of the fact that Jesus, you know, can can I do this? Um, you know, those people have always been there to give advice and they've always been there to to help out where they can. And yeah, I mean, really looked up to those people in the past. And if I could, if I could ever, you know, if I could ever fill their shoes and, and do that role, then it would certainly be a privilege um, to lead this organisation. I certainly think, you know, <clears throat> like you say, um, Young Farm is also a massive part of your life, but your career's got to be the, the main thing, you know, and um you've got what is probably six years left of, of that ability, which is at your, at the level you're at is probably a lot of time for, for compared to most people. But the, the way you're sort of speaking about it there is probably the, the type of values and whatnot that ACYFC wants in that person. So I'm sure if, if it ever does happen, it would be, <clears throat> be a very good fit. Um, thinking of, uh, I, I like to sort of, when I speak to someone in Young Farmers, John, go over their... I guess their relationship with with young farmers and how it impacts them because I mean the reason this podcast started was back in July 2020 yes 2020 um I started writing stories like written not speaking um about people and how you get into farming and young farmers has got to be one of the main ways uh it's, it's just got to be um so I like to sort of see how it's been been for everyone. So, at a club and district level, what what have you experienced as as a any young farmers? We'll get on to agri in a second, but a club and district in particular, what have what have you taken from young farmers? So, I think I think um, you know certainly coming up through through club level, you you know um, anyone who thinks they're not going to come across uh, difficult personalities. It's probably been um, deluded, and you know, there's always there's always people there that are not out to cause problems, but are always out there to you know look for the for the negatives and things. You're always going to come across those kinds of people. I think that's um, something that you know um, there's there's been a fair challenge with that. You know, um, the, the clubs that I've been involved in um, have experienced a fair amount of change, and not everyone's liked that change. Um, but I think. You know, the, the one thing going back to what I was saying earlier, the more you put in, the more you get out, and you know, um, you meet some really, you know, you get a good, you get a good relationship with the local community because you're, you know, you're out there, you're doing things, um, you know, whether whether there's companies that are sponsoring you or there's companies or charities locally that are looking for help, the young farmers are usually you know, among the first of the people that they'll go to um, for assistance. And, you know, it's really, it's a power for good in the local community at club level. And I think, you know, getting out there, seeing people, um, you know, helping people and also encouraging these young people to come into the club because they are the future of it. And I think that's one thing in the last few years that we've really concentrated on at club levels, encouraging those young people to come and be a part of it. 
Um, you know, I think in the, in the past there's maybe been a bit of a, you know, everybody goes on about the, the cliques and, and stuff like that. But there's certainly, I think that has that has got better in the last few years across young farmers as a whole. Um, and certainly at club level, getting these young people in, you know, they, they, it's amazing to see how some of these young people can come in, be really shy, but then, you know, they come to two or three events and they really come out their shell. You know, it's, it's amazing to see how, you know, something like young farmers can have such a big impact on you, on a young person. You know, I, I can think of two or three examples of people who came, you know, barely said two words the first time they were at the young farmers, just really nervous. It's a scary experience. Um, you know, I know I was like that myself at the first event. Hard to think all this, but I was like that myself at the first event ever. It is hard to think, but I'll believe you for the hard sake of it. Yeah, but... Um, <laughs> But it's, no, but like by the second or third event, you know, if you give them, if you go and speak to them, spend a bit of time with them, you know, really encourage them to keep coming back and taking part in the events that are on offer, then I think you know it's 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 got the huge potential for good, and you know, just to see how those people can come out of their shell with that opportunity, I think that's probably the biggest thing that I can take away from young farmers, and I can say to anyone, just the power of what you can do at club level. Is huge. You don't need to be at a national level or a regional or a district or whatever. You just at club level, you have such a power for good. And I think that, you know, I think a lot of clubs need to harness that and 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 do more with it. I think. And obviously, you know, I think uh, Lauren Estelle just obviously passed at the weekend there, and obviously Stuart Ray as well did their charity challenges, and you know, Lauren Estelle doing their push and pull for Parkinson's. And um, Stuart Ray climbing scale four times, uh, the equivalent height of Ben Nevis. And I think, you know, those are the kinds of things, raising money for charity as well. I think, you know, huge, huge opportunities in that and, you know, huge well done to those clubs as well. Did you get involved? In that? Uh, unfortunately, I didn't know, um, but certainly, um, certainly really happy to see all the people that, that did manage to climb it four times. Um, and th those who got those who got involved, and uh, yeah, certainly uh, if it comes up again, I'll be the first one at the bottom of school ready to go up at Wallace. Well, that's the thing. I was the first one at the bottom of Criffle, but I was definitely not the first at the top. Uh, the <laughs> was um, do you know? I, I think we we basically did it on the same day, didn't we? I think it was they were both the Sunday, yeah. Uh, and yeah two fantastic chunks that will still be increasing now, pots of money <clears throat> going to two great charities. And it's just, uh, yeah, it's the, you mentioned about the power of, of club level there. I think, I think club level has more power than national level um, because it's more personal. You know, we, we're both John involved at club and national level, and you've very much been involved for a longer period than I have, but I love national level and I take so much out of national level from a probably professional development perspective and, and, and what I do as well is, you know, it's more relevant looking at SLT stuff and that sort of thing. But club level, man, I mean, if it wasn't for, if it wasn't for, I'm obviously talking lower Nistio here, but it doesn't matter. It could be the three S's. It could be bank foot. It doesn't matter. It could be Shetland. Um, I am well established in this area now. And if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't be, you know, that does, it's amazing how much you can meet folk through it. And and I was, and I've said this on the podcast many a time, I was a oh, young farmer, so good can it be? I was 100%. I, I was for some time because 
my young farmers was uni and, and that's how I did it. And I was like, oh, who cares what young farmers can't be that good. That was my loss, man. That was totally my loss. I'm not a regretful person, but I think if I had one regret, it might have been taking up young farmers earlier. But uh, yeah, it is, it is great. And and we've mentioned Stewartry <clears throat> and Lower Nithsdale there, but there's four other clubs, isn't there? Yeah, four other clubs in Dumfries and Galloway that, that are doing great things. And, and it's it amazes me every time I go to shows, whether it's with SRUC or SAYFC or my sponsors or whoever, sponsors being A-Plan, obviously, um, you go and you speak to the Young Farmers Tent and everyone's doing a slightly different thing. I'm like, how is there so much happening? It's amazing. So, yeah, if you are listening <clears throat> and uh, you're looking to get into farming, you're in Scotland or you're in England or you're in Wales or you're in Rwanda, because we just signed a partnership as SAYFC with the Rwandan Youth Agribusiness Forum. Um, and if you're interested, by the way, quick premature plug um i will be having <clears throat> sakina who is basically our jane strawhorn uh, of rwandan uh, youth agribusiness forum on the podcast to talk about what they're doing and let me tell you from being there a week they're doing some mad stuff given they're eight years old uh, so that's that's what we'll be talking about soon but john let, let's speak agri because agri is a thing that i've heard of for some time i've been aware of it for some time well before i was involved in young farmers but only recently have I fully understood what it is. So could you tell the viewers what Agri and Rural Affairs involves? <clears throat> so Agri and Rural Affairs basically um, focuses on looking at uh, things like government policy um, surrounding agriculture, seeing how that will affect farmers, young people in agriculture. Uh, we also look at kind of widening the knowledge base um, surrounding agriculture, so, you know, organising farm visits um, in every kind of district and area of the SEYC covers. Uh, we also have our annual conference um, in November, which tickets have just gone on sale for, um, which will be held at Ingleson again this year at the Royal Highland Showground. Um, so, yeah, those are our main events in the year, just uh, our, our conference and organising farm visits, and also we, we focus on policy as well and see... Um, we, in the last few years, have been lucky enough to, to open up quite a few channels with with the government. Um, you know, we tend to have a good relationship with NFU. Um, you know, we have a strong link with the, the NFU Next Generation Group. Uh, I know that, you know, many of our committee members also sit on their committee and, and vice versa. So there's a, there's a good tie up there. Um, you know, and at the Highland Show, we had... Like I mentioned earlier, we had a meeting with the cabinet secretary um, and also um, the leader, the leader of the Scottish Conservatives, Douglas Ross, um, just talking about what the priorities of young people are um, in agriculture in Scotland, um, what they can do to help us, you know, make that better. Um, and you know, uh, it's been, it's certainly been a big uh, couple of years for Agri. You know, we've we've done a lot. We've you know we organised study tours, both short and long haul. Uh, I was lucky enough last November to be on the trip that went to Chile in South America. Um, if anyone ever gets the chance to go and visit Chile, then you know I'd, I'd fully recommend it. Uh, it's an absolutely fantastic country. You know, and I think you'd be the same having just been to Tanzania and Rwanda. Um, you know, I think it's a huge opportunity for young farmers as well, being able to go and travel to these places. You know, we've just had a long haul study tour that's just back from Canada. We also do short haul study tours as well. So last year there was a tour to the Yorkshire Show um, and 
the year before there was a tour to the Welsh, um, and also a few years ago we did a, a kind of fact-finding trip to Westminster, which took in things like the New Zealand Embassy and Prime Minister's questions at Westminster. So yeah, we our scope is huge. Uh, we do cover a lot of stuff, you know, um, but. It's not for not for everyone, um, you know. I think there's there's a few there's a few people that are really passionate about agri rural affairs. Um, there are some members of SAYFC that probably don't understand what we do or why we do it. Um, you know, I, I know it's not everyone's cup of tea, but um, the the team that we've got at the moment, the committee we've got, are, are hugely passionate about about agriculture um, and about protecting it and promoting it. So that's kind of our, our main objectives. Just sort of sprung <clears throat> sprung something to mind there, John. Um, I'm going to ask you about Chile more in depth, and it, it was one of the things I was going to ask you about anyway, but you mentioned about Chile there, and you mentioned about myself, Rwanda and Tanzania. I don't really think it even matters what country it is. I just think the benefit of seeing what's out there is just priceless, like I really do. Um, and that's coming from someone who genuinely had pretty much done no travelling <laughs> until two weeks ago. Um and now, you know, four opportunities have came out of that to travel, and I can't say about that yet, but, you know, a lot of more countries to see what's happening in farming and what's happening and how it works, it'll be coming soon. But an idea has just came to me. Um, <clears throat> Jane, Katie, Paul, Lindsay and myself are going to do a podcast about uh, Rwanda and Tanzania. Would you like me to, obviously through yourselves, to have like a podcast with some folk that were in Canada to talk about what happened and we could try and make that a yearly thing, promote what's going on. Maybe something. Yeah, like I mean, I think I think, you know, I think everyone who's been on those these kind of trips, like you say, will agree that the the things you see, the people you meet and, and the things you learn when you're when you're in these countries is huge. And I think, you know, there's an opportunity to to give some of that back to people who are listening to the likes of your podcast. And I think, you know, that's a great opportunity. And I think you know, I think people would certainly be happy to come on and, and do something like that. Well, yeah, feel free at your next meeting to put that forward. And if we want to arrange it, we can get that going. But um, you weren't in Canada, John, but tell us about Chile. Tell us, just tell us about that experience. Yes, I mean, I wasn't sure what to expect. Um, you know, it was two years delayed due to COVID. Um, so it was kind of at that point where I think we were all just totally itching to, to get going and, and go and do it. Um, so obviously, uh, you know, getting there, climate's obviously totally different to here. It's much warmer, um, you know. And I think I think we saw we saw the best of agriculture out there. You know, we saw beef farms, um, we saw we saw dairy farms. We also saw arable units. Um, you know, we were we were primarily um, seeing a lot of fruit farms. So thing, things like cherries. Uh, cherries, apples, you name it, we, we were seeing it out there. And I think the people were so welcoming, um, you know, took us in, you know, really the hospitality was brilliant. Uh, we had a translator, Lucas, um, he was first class. You know, I think, I think we couldn't really have, I know we always say this about our translators when we're on trips, but genuinely I don't think we could have found um, a, a better person around his family were involved in agriculture themselves. Um, you know, the, the middle Sunday of the trip, he took us to where his where his family um, stayed. He'd got a, a small farm that acts as a, a private beach, so we had a barbecue there, and and you know had kind of a, 
bit of a chilled out Sunday, kind of just chatting to them and seeing what their culture's like, what they've done. They were obviously asking us questions about what we do here in Scotland. And, and it was just good to sit down with them and have that chat instead of, you know, the time we were there, it was we were on a bus, we were always going somewhere, we were always, you know, doing visits. That was brilliant. We've seen loads of stuff, but actually being able to sit down with those people for a longer period of time and get more in depth about their country and their culture and what they're doing. I think that was that was really good as well. And obviously the group, you know, there was 16 of us on that group. Yeah, I think it was 15 or 16. And it was it was just brilliant how we all gelled in the time we were away. And you know, we'll you know have our group chat and you know we still keep in touch and you know hopefully at some point this year we'll we'll do some kind of reunion. Um which I think, you know, that's the same with any group. They gel really well when they're away and, you know, learn so much. And if anyone's interested in seeing about kind of what the visits were and, and what we're doing when we're out there, the, the report is available um, on the SAYC website. Um, and, you know, if anyone is interested in, in doing some of the travel opportunities and wants to, wants to you know, ask more about what we've done, then, you know, I think anyone that was on these, on these trips would be happy to speak to anyone about the opportunities that are available. There's there's some amazing opportunities available, and I was not aware until this year. Um, is it Portuguese they speak in Chile? Spanish. Spanish. Um, that was that was one of the two, wasn't it? It was going to be one of the two. <laughs> <laughs> Just didn't know what one it was. Um, yeah, sounds like a good opportunity. Have you got any plans to try and jump on any of the other international travels, John? Uh, no, not at the moment. Obviously, kind of going back to what we were discussing earlier, having obviously just started a new a new job and a, and a new career, um, time's fairly limited at the moment. But it's certainly something going forward that I'd be I'd be looking to do. Um, would be travelling, taking up some more of the travel opportunities that the SEYFC have on offer, um, and obviously going and learning more about another country. Um, I think you know the the opportunities and the and the lessons learned from Chile. I think certainly has kind of encouraged me to do more travelling in the future, and that's certainly part of the plan. Oh, and you've you've mentioned it a few times, and because you're one of those folk that uh, takes on so many things, um, we've sort of not actually spoke about what you do. <laughs> we've managed <laughs> to for the best part of an hour and not actually get into what you do for a career, John. So worked as a stocks person up until pretty much this year. Um, and there's been a bit of a shift, very much something that I assume was maybe not something you've always wanted to do, but something that you've been aware of for some time. Um, could you tell us about that transition into a new job? <clears throat> I hope you've kicked your feet up and got comfy and enjoying another fantastic episode of the R2Cast with another really interesting guest. I would just like to quickly take another second to plug the sponsors of the show today, The Scottish Farmer, and I would strongly advise you to go out and pick one up this week and see even more of the fantastic people that are in our industry. Yes, I mean, like I said earlier, my father was stockman at Herds of, you know, pedigree livestock, and uh, I think, you know, that was kind of what I thought I would always do, obviously, until I get more involved with agri and, you know, agri-politics is kind of there as well. Um, but this year... Um, having you know done a weekend job with the Barber family at Lock and Gibber um, for uh, you know near near enough six years, you know weekend job while I was at college and uni, and then COVID happened and became full time there. Um, so kind of in April of this year, uh, 
got got approached um, and asked if I would like to become a trainee auctioneer, um, which, you know, like like you say, it's a career you're aware of, but it's not a career that, that I'd ever really considered um, as such. But, you know, thought long and hard about it, you know, obviously ties in a lot of the things that I enjoy, speaking to people, dealing with people on an everyday basis, uh, obviously ties in some of my passions as well, livestock and in the agriculture and just thought it, it would be a new challenge um, and it's something that you know really enjoying it at the moment obviously this is coming into a busy time with uh, certainly a lot of sheep sales going on and we've got some you know sort of calf sales coming up um, soon as well so really starting against the busy period and um, just been spending the summer getting out and about speaking to farmers building a relationship with these farmers and you know it's a uh, it's certainly certainly something new, but certainly a challenge. Um, and you know enjoying it at the moment. And am I right in saying, John? I might not be. I think I am. Uh, that sort of similar to vet school. Um, auctioneering is one of those ones you have to learn everything. So you've got to learn valuation of of, for example, like furniture, machinery, even though you're livestock focused. Is that right, or have I made that up? Yes, I mean you've got you've got to learn a wider scope than what you're yeah. you're going to need. Essentially, um, there is a course down um, in Harper Adams, which uh, hopefully I'll be starting in the next few months. Um, and obviously that works towards, um, you know, when you come to the end of that course, you become a fellow of the Institute of Auctioneers. So that gives you, you know, gives you a legal basis for doing valuations, and you know, you can go value stock if you know that is required, or do things like. That. So, you know, you could, there's a lot of things you can do without that qualification, but you kind of need to go and do it in order to learn how it all works, um, which which is good, you know, and you meet you be able to meet new people in that as well, which which will be which will be a good opportunity. Do you have any idea? This is a random question. I'm going to guess you don't know this. But I'm going to ask it anyway. It's just a random question. Do you have any idea how many folk go through that course every year? Uh, I don't know. It's a it's a four year course. Um, I think there's somewhere around the region of 10 start it every year. Um, wouldn't be 100% sure about that. But yeah, I think that's kind of the numbers that they that they work with on, a, on an annual basis. And uh, what what's a, I know you've only done it a few months to get that and you're probably just, <clears throat> probably just at this point moving into that proper busy spell, the lambing time or the, the, the harvest time of, of auctioneering, if you will. Um, What's a day in your life like in that job? So basically, on a sale day, you're at the market all day. You're you know you're unloading trailers. You're checking checking the counts of the livestock to make sure that you know however many the license says is there is actually there. Um, you know you're penning them up. You're um, shedding them into into lots of the you know similar sizes for getting sold. Um, you know, obviously, you're, um, you know, I usually put the sheep, for example, into the ring. Um, so that's kind of usually what what I'm doing at, at sale time, and then afterwards, you know, um, you're on, you're you're loading lorries, getting the livestock away, and then you're you're getting tidied up and getting you know things things washed up, uh, ready for the next sale. Um, that's usually an, an a usual sale day. Um, days that there's not a sale, usually out going around farms, um, speaking to farmers, just seeing what you know, seeing what their livestock's like. You know, are they if they don't deal with us already, would they be interested in dealing with us? Um, you know, just uh, getting out and speaking to people and building a relationship with them um, on the days that 
you know, you're not actually at the market. And obviously these people, you'll see them on a sale day usually anyway. So you're kind of seeing them at the market. You're also going to see them on farm, which is really good as well. And at what stage do you start getting the opportunity to be up there doing the auctioneering? So that's that's not uh, something that I can control as such. Uh, so right. that okay. just basically when when my boss decides that he, he wants to give me that opportunity, which, you know, I would think won't be too far away, um, or I hope not. Um, but, you know, th these are the kind of things that you just have to kind of wait for the opportunity to come. But um, certainly, certainly paying attention to what's going on in the ring, you know, on a sale day just now, so that when I do get that opportunity, hopefully I don't, hopefully I don't muck it up. <laughs> it's one of those things. I used to try... And pretend I was doing it, and I could not get my mouth around doing it. Never managed. So it's a thing I've thought is such a skill to watch. Not a skill to watch. It's a skill, and I, I like to. Yeah, one hundred percent. It's amazing. Um, but you're enjoying it though, yeah. Yeah, good no, it's choice. really good, and it's it's something it's something that, like I say, that didn't envisage going into that industry. But now that I'm actually in it, it's a it's a new challenge and I'm really enjoying it and really enjoying um, dealing with people as well um, you know not, not everyone's easy to deal with but it's just a case of actually taking the time to listen to them and understand what they're doing and what they need and then obviously trying to work around that um, so yeah no really enjoying that it's it's funny you say that it's it's you're you're thinking it's for you now but it's not something you considered before because when I'd heard I think it was you that told me in fairness um that this was coming about it is absolutely what i just assumed you always wanted to do i genuinely did like I, I to be honest i don't think until now i knew that it was something you hadn't really considered i just thought it was because it just seems so up your street but i'm glad <clears throat> glad all's going well um john it's one of, one of those episodes i knew it would, would be that we have flown around a million places uh, you're one of those folk, um, and I've, I've mentioned her name a few times because she's the one that it first happened with, Erin uh, McNaught, who I brought on. All these things had happened. And I'm like, what age are you, Erin? And uh, she said 20, and I was like, Jesus, I could barely put my own socks on at that age. You know, and some of the folk I bring on, whether they're 20, 24, like yourself and Heidi, or, or even a bit older, some of the folk that have fitted so much into their 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 short age is quite impressive, and you're certainly one of them. But we do, <clears throat> we do, um, we sort of channel towards the end of each episode with two questions that I like to ask everyone. And and if they haven't asked, if they haven't listened to a podcast before, it can throw them off guard because one of them is a horrible question, and I wouldn't know how to answer it. Um, but before we do, have you enjoyed coming on the podcast? Yeah, no, it's been it's been brilliant, and I think uh, obviously knowing yourself, Wallace, uh, you know, I know that you're really you're really passionate about what you do with this podcast. So you know, it's certainly a privilege to come on and and talk about you know as much as it's talking about what I'm doing. It's certainly um, good to come on and hear kind of about what you're doing with the podcast as well. So yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. No, thank you, man. I appreciate that, and I think <clears throat> we spoke about um, you know sharing that agricultural story. I. Uh, I found the best way to share that, and I think you're the same, just in different ways, is showing what everyone's doing. And that's, I love, I love doing this. And I'm saying this because I'm leading into the fact that I know you're in the throes of trying to think of beginning one. Um, you will, you will not regret it if you do, if you do begin one, because <clears throat> you meet so many fantastic people. You 
learn so much. I mean, I'm obviously a lecturer with a master's degree and in my classes, I reference podcasts that, and I don't really reference anyone else's, not because I don't, well, it is because I don't listen to them. It's I don't listen to anything. I just, I spend so much time making sure this product's as good as it can be. And when I meet folk on it, like, you learn something every day, so it is great fun, but thank you. Thank you for pointing that out. But uh, the, the questions at the end of every podcast is, one, where do you see yourself in five years? I hate that you won't be 30. Um, and uh, the second question, uh, and let's go with auctioneering, is uh, if you had any tips for folk coming into auctioneering, what would they be? <clears throat> uh, so um, tackling the five-year question uh, first. So uh, obviously just started a new career um obviously a four-year course is on the horizon um obviously for that for that um job uh, so hopefully in five years time i will have uh, completed and passed that course and and be um, a fully qualified auctioneer is the hope at the moment um and who knows if i've got the time to give to the role and the opportunity arises then you know maybe i will have been at a higher level within SAYFC, but obviously we'll, we'll need to wait and see for that one. But it's certainly at the moment um, the intention to give as much to young farmers as I can for as long as I can. Um, it's an organisation that uh, has always given always given plenty to me and given me a lot of opportunities and allowed me to better myself within the industry as well. You know, it's introduced me to some of the most interesting people that I've ever met um, and has certainly provided lots of opportunities. So that's um, kind of where I see five years from now being, uh, having given a lot more to young farmers and also uh, being a fully qualified auctioneer, hopefully. Um, I suppose a uh, tackle on the auctioneering question, uh, it's, it's one of those things, I've not been in it that long yet, um, but as a young person in the industry, I can see that there's a lot of opportunities there. And I think, you know, if you've got, you know, I'm lucky that I've got a boss that is uh, very supportive um, and very willing to teach me how things work and, and allow me to learn the ropes and give me the time to do that. Um, so I would say that if you've got someone who, who is going to support you, then, you know, not throw caution to the wind as such, but uh, certainly certainly don't close your mind to it. Uh, come into it with an open mind. Deal with people however you find them, um, you know, and just just enjoy it. Because to be honest, it's, it is such an enjoyable job when you start dealing with people on an everyday basis and you're dealing with livestock. Um, you know, I think that that's the main thing. Just, just come into the industry, take it at face value and enjoy it. And I think that's probably the best advice I could give anyone at this point coming into auctioneering. No, couldn't agree more. All very good, all very good tips. <clears throat> the five-year question I hate. Uh, yeah, I don't like it much either. Well, no. Like <laughs> no. man, I'm one of those folk that's got the next two weeks planned and after that I've got no chance. <laughs> Um, so yeah, on two occasions, it's either episode 45, yeah, 45 with Crawford Niven, Crawford's Farm, and uh, that 113, the SAYFC, Sky Watson and Crawford Niven both threw the question back at me and I have never frozen like it, but uh, I do unfortunately put everyone through it. <laughs> um, it's, it's an interesting one and, and we had a really interesting question, sorry, <clears throat> really interesting answer. 
and I'm not going to tell you who it was in the last 10 episodes. So if you're listening and you want to hear who said this, um, you better go listen to the last 10 episodes and see I'm a genius. Um, you're, a, you're, a sal- you're a salesman, Wallace. It's unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where did you see yourself in five years? And their answer was, given the fact I'm still here, I don't know where I could tell you in a day. So long as I'm here tomorrow, I'm happy. And that is an answer. Um, uh but not going to tell you who, you'll have to find it. <clears throat> so if you want to go listen to the last 10 episodes and realise that it was actually 11 episodes ago, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> um, but no, it's not not the best answer on the planet. But John, thank you very much for your time. Appreciate it hugely. Thank you very much, Wallace. Very, very good episode there. And you did ask roughly how long would it take, and I said about an hour. We're sitting at 59 minutes and I've got an outro to do, so it'll be pretty much 60. Um, so you, know, you learn how to time these things as well. Um, for those listening, as we said, the last episode was Heidi Wilson. Uh, I didn't actually say this at the start, but she's now, <clears throat> as of I think two weeks from now, yes, she'll be uh, two weeks from release, she'll be in um, the final of Britain's Fittest Farmer. So good luck to Heidi. A um, lot more in that episode. Very good episode. Go check that one out. Um, obviously, today, really good episode with John. The next one will be Lauren Ethan, as I said. If you're listening and you are a, a member of a, a club or maybe even met an office bearer in a club of a young farmers club, now this was originally SAYFC. I'm willing to throw that out to anywhere. Uh, please get in touch and we can sort of try and show what your club's doing in your area. We'd like to sort of showcase that. Other names coming up is uh, Grant Barr, a man who holds a very similar position to our guest today. However, he is <clears throat> the chair of the National Committee of it's called competitions and events, isn't it, John? Com- comps and events, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and making his way in the comedy world. So that's an interesting one. Uh, funny guy, and uh, I'm sure me and him will have a bit of a laugh as well. Uh, the next episode we'll be having <coughs> is with the other four guys um, that went to, or three that went to Tanzania and four that went to Rwanda. And we're going to be talking about that. It's probably going to be the first, the second time, yes, the second time that I'll actually almost be a guest. I'll be running the episode, but I'll be a guest as well. Then we'll be having a guy who I met in Tanzania, and I'm sure a lot of the people that were in Tanzania with me will be happy that this is happening, but we met somewhat of a celebrity, a Norwegian celebrity, and uh, he told us this, and we thought, oh, okay. And then we looked him up, and we realised he absolutely was a Norwegian celebrity. Um, You could make him out to be similar to someone like a Dick and Dom, I would say. A sort of child's uh, child's TV celeb, I guess. So he is going to be nuts. And I think the best way to describe Martin is in Tanzania, he matched my energy and maybe even topped it. So that gives you a bit of an idea what Martin's how is, like. How is that even possible? <laughs> Especially, John, you've seen the videos of me in Tanzania. Uh, so... Yeah, we were almost like out energy in each other, so that was something else. And then Becky Giles is coming on. Some of you may follow Becky and the line of work you're in, John. You might have worked alongside her. Um, she's becoming a YouTuber. Well, not becoming. She has a YouTuber following her life as a livestock caller. <clears throat> so a lot of good episodes coming up. There's also five or six that are uh, not quite finalised yet, but um, will be probably filmed in the next week and a half, and we'll be getting filmed up pretty much until Halloween. So thank you very much, as always, for listening. John, thank you very much for coming on. Thanks for having me, Wallace. Pleasure as always, and we shall see you all for episode number 132. Thank you very much for listening.
I hope you've enjoyed another excellent episode of the R2Cast. I just want to take this moment to quickly thank our primary sponsors once more, A-Plan Rural. If you follow A-Plan on social media, you'll see the work they're doing to really promote British farming and back our industry. It's been a pleasure working alongside A-Plan Rural so far and long may it continue. The values of A-Plan Rural runs perfectly in line with the whole mantra of Rural to Kitchen and I'm glad to have them on board. Check them out on Instagram at A-Plan Rural and on Facebook at A-Plan Rural Insurance. See you for the next podcast.